get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. All right, we're back just before the start of the duck season with uh, a mailbag episode to answer some of your burning questions before we get underway for the 2021-2022 season. Uh, If you hadn't caught it yet, we just recorded our season preview, so make sure to check that out because we'll be referencing uh, some of the topics from that show on this one as well. So it's, uh, it's kind of a dual preview show before we get going for the season kicking back into the action but uh i've got steven joining me on the show as always how's it going steven good man how are you i uh you know i sorry funny i dude i between this and yesterday man i'm in such bad preseason form i'm gonna get waved <laughs> yeah, uh, for everybody who doesn't know that there's a show we recorded yesterday steven and i and uh two other contributors uh robin who contributes for jewels of the crown and alex who contributes for cbj canon uh we recorded a fun blind draft show with them yesterday and steven steven was self-admittedly a little bit rusty on that show so th- that one will so be <laughs> that one will be coming out probably the end of uh this upcoming week here so you'll be able to you'll be able to hear that one at that point so but yeah but no man it's good <laughs> I'm, I'm excited man it's you know it's 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 nice to to have it coming around the corner you know it's three days away from the ducks opener two days away from the season opener for the league and like I don't know I'm 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 sure we'll get into this with some of these questions but like I'm kind of at peace right now with where the ducks are you know I think I like kind of get kind of what I'm expecting to happen this year and who I'm expecting to do well and I feel like I'm just like mentally in a pretty good place where I am not setting myself up to have ridiculous expectations so yeah I mean the preseason is preseason but I feel like it's given us a little taste of what to expect this year. Like, there's been some bad performances in preseason. But the guys you've wanted to see do well and take a step forward have. Like, obviously, Zegris is leading the Ducks in, in scoring. is the only player over a point per game in preseason uh, with two goals and five assists for seven points in five games. That's what you wanted to see, right? And that's, that's coming off last night uh, where he had a goal and two assists against the Kings, which is great. And the Ducks ended up squeaking out a win in the shootout, so that's always nice. And even you know some of the guys that aren't on the board at, per se with you know some eye-catching point totals like Zegers has. I think Terry's looked good. I think Isaac Lindstrom, even though he only has one goal in five games, I thought he looked better and a bit more engaged offensively. And that's all you can kind of hope for, right, is some of these younger kids to take a step forward. McTavish looks like he's going to get a shot to open the season, and that's one of the questions we'll get to here shortly. So, you know, again, it is preseason, but the expectations are we're going to see some production and and some good performances from the kids this year, especially Zegras. So if you go into the season expecting that and knowing that there's going to be some hard games and some tough games to watch, then it's a better feeling going in than – hearing Bob Murray last year say, oh, yeah, no, we're a playoff team. We're going to compete for the playoffs. 
<laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's nice. Like we've gotten articles from like Eric Stevens and stuff where it's like, oh, he used the rebuild word. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So glad he caught up with the rest of us as to where the hell this team has been at. Yeah, we'll but, we'll see know, how long that lasts, but <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, it's it's good, man. Like I think, I, I you know, to be really honest, I feel like this is kind of the first season in more than a couple years where I have looked at the prospect pool and actually seen even some of the second and third round pick guys and been like, no, these guys could really be players. You know, before it's you know it's always guys, and you're like, oh maybe, but you know, a lot of those picks are in the middle to late late rounds and at that point it's always just a crapshoot and you know even getting Pistuyov in the third round and stuff like that I just think it's nice to look at some of these names and be able to you know I don't know daydream about what a top six top nine is looking like in a few years so it's it's a good spot to be I think as long as you you know you like you said you don't get your expectations up for this season as long as you don't focus on the results of this year beyond player development and maybe overhauling the roster a little bit. There's a lot of things to be excited about right now, and it's it's a good place to be. Yeah, and, and you mentioned guys like Pistuyov and you know the, some of the Ducks prospects have kind of begun their season, and it's been nice to see some of them get off to such a good start, and that kind of helps you look towards the future and be like, okay, like things are going to be all right. You know, we mentioned Zegers already. McTavish getting some games likely before going back to the OHL. Pistuyev got a hat trick in his second OHL game yesterday, so that was fun to see and, and nice to see him gelling well there. I know Colangelo got uh, a goal in one of his first two games, so that was his first NCAA goal. So now you're starting to see some of these guys, like you said, the second round picks, third round picks that are starting to pan out. Look home and McLaughlin look good in their debut for Minnesota. So. It's nice to see, but you know, we, we get to the questions here, and it does revolve around one of the Ducks' young players, and it's Mason McTavish, and we talked about it a little bit to start the show here. But he has seemingly made the opening night roster. There's still, I think, 15 Ducks forwards uh, on the roster right now after Milano and Volkov getting sent down. And you know, there, there's a lot of guys that you kind of expect to be here no matter what. Um, so he's kind of down to... The last cuts at this point. He played on line with Lindstrom and Silverberg, which is good to see last night and looked pretty good. But the first question we have is from Jack. He said, what are McTavis's chances of playing some games this year? I would say at this point, it's got to be like 90%, right? At, at least that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think... You know, I I think if you drop the S and you just play, just make it playing a game, I would say it's pretty close to 100% that he's going to get a game in. Um, I I would imagine if they're keeping him up for one, they're going to probably put him into three or four unless, you know, he just looks completely lost. Um, Which, you know, again, what is he, like 19 years old? Like, it's not even 18, 19 years old. Like, you know, I, I, I think there is the the fact that he's even in it right now i think is a, it, it should give everybody something to be excited about um because i don't think any of us really thought he would be around this long in this camp and to see him you know look as good as he has you know he hasn't looked he hasn't looked like a stud but he hasn't looked like a bomb either you know what i mean and so i just think for him it's just about him being able to use his size and his physicality to 
adapt. And then, you know, he played in a men's league last year. He played in the second division Swedish league, Swiss league, one of the yeah, two. Yeah, Swiss league, yep. Swiss league. It, you know, so, like, he's used to playing around some big guys, um, you know, and I, I think that's probably been really good for him. So it, it, there's... I agree with you. I think there's probably an 80 to 90% chance at this point that he gets four or five games in. And, you know, depending on how he looks, maybe he's a surprise out of camp. You know, maybe he's a, I don't necessarily want to do this just because of this summer, but like, you know, maybe he's kind of cock and yemmy-ish where it's just like, yeah. oh yeah, no, you're just here at 18. Okay. Yeah, he could. And I think the <clears throat> the only thing going against him is the fact that, uh, the destination for him to return to is the Ontario Hockey League, right? So it's not like he can go down to the AHL like Kakanyemi did um, because, you know, the European guys, it's a little bit easier to bring them over, and if they don't work out, okay, we'll just send you down to the American League. But for McTavish, it's really it's NHL or OHL for him. Um, I ultimately think at the, at the end of the day, and this goes to Dave's question here where he says does mctavish get to see nine regular season games and then we also got a question from cable guy that said how many games can you realistically see mctavish playing i don't see him getting more than nine i think you know unless he wows which Mm -hmm. i i I, and again i think he's looked good and i agree with you i think he's looked good he hasn't jumped off the page but i didn't expect him to and i I really Mm -hmm. didn't expect him to make it this far and push this close to a roster spot and I think, you know, Carrick and Gru are probably the ones who get sent down, and that gives him a spot for at least the first few games. Uh, I th- I would say he gets seven or eight, and they push it right towards that nine-game limit, and then they make a decision, and I, th- I think he gets sent back down at this point. Because I-, I think if you went purely off play in preseason, I think Benoit Olivier Gru deserves the spot over McTavish. But I can understand with Gru being waiver-exempt, and the only option for McTavish is permanently in the OHL or a few games to start the year with the Ducks, I can see why they would say, okay, like let's give McTavish six, seven, eight games, and then we'll send him down, and then, Gru, you can come up and get your shot. I, I think that that structure is what they're leaning towards and what I think makes the most sense and why I don't see McTavish realistically sticking around for 15, 20, 30, 40 games this year. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think, you know, I think around six or seven games we'll have an idea of if he's going to stick around or not. And I don't expect him to, you know. But again, like uh, like we said, like there are two things, depending on how you want to look at it, two or three things looking at his working in his favor. One is his physicality. He's just a big kid and he doesn't shy away from making contact and he doesn't he doesn't seem reckless to me, but he seems able to you know, just kind of hold his own against grown men, which, you know, he's going to be 19 at the end of January. So like, that's, that's a big step. Um, and then two, we know he's got that shot and that shot, you know, is like shots are just, it's, it's a great equalizer. There's a good chance that he just kind of shows up and he looks really good on a second power play unit or on a third line or something like that. And, you know, maybe he's just creating opportunities and things like that. So, you know, maybe he sticks around, and then the third thing is, is like the guys that you would expect to be pushing him out of a spot, you know, it's like Sam Steele, like, all right, you know, I don't think any of us at this point would rather see Sam Steele than Mason McTavish. Um, now, this is going to be a big year for Sam Steele and where he ends up and stuff like that. But, you know, I don't I don't think given what the expectations of him are, that there's many guys on this roster who are going to prevent him 
from being on the roster if he shows he's ready, which, yeah. again, neither of us think he will be, and not, I don't think anybody should expect him to be, but like you and I said, like the fact that he's this far into it already is a positive sign for where he's at. So, Yeah, there, there's a chance there, for sure that right. he comes into the first few games and just plays his way onto the roster permanently. I, you know, I can see it. It's possible he has the skill to do it. I think physically he's ready, and maybe things just click all of a sudden, and he gets going a lot quicker than we thought. I mean, look at Jamie Drysdale last year, right? Like, nobody expected him. And I know he benefited from the OHL not being there, but he jumped right into the American Hockey League, didn't look out of place, jumped right into the Ducks lineup, didn't look out of place. Maybe it's the same for McTavish. And it's not like the production was there for Drysdale either. He just looked like he belonged. And, you know, the points felt like they were going to come at some point. And even the production he did put up wasn't that bad, especially for a young 18-year-old defenseman. At one point, for I think half the year, he was literally the youngest player in the National Hockey League. So, mm-hmm. you you know what I mean? If McTavish comes in and, and does that and just doesn't look out of place and, and kind of fills a role that the Ducks can't find from other players in the lineup... You know, mm-hmm. just a, a really good secondary, secondary scorer, a guy who can kind of park himself in front of the net, use his size uh, efficiently for the beginning part of the year. There's not many other guys the Ducks have that can do that other than maybe Max Jones. So it is nice having a second player who can do that and is just as skilled, if not more skilled, at this point than Jones is. So it will be interesting to see. It's one of the storylines I'm really excited to see play out. I want to see him at least get a game, a game or two to start the year. And like we know from recent debuts, you know guys like Comtois and even Zegris, and over the last few seasons, they've gone well for for the Ducks, right? Like the guys who've made their debut, they usually make an impact or first games of the season. So it would be nice to see him get off the board quickly, and uh, and and play well. But I, I even if he does, like I want to preface that with this as well. If he does get sent back to Peterborough, I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't no. <laughs> think, yeah, like I, I just, I don't think he's a player yet that has done everything at the, the junior level, that he's too good for it and that he won't benefit for, you know, his development will be hurt for him going back. I think, you know, it would be a good thing for him to go back if he proves he's not ready because I like to see him go back, kind of like Comtois did, and go back and just dominate that league. And I think he has the potential to do that, even whether it's with a pizza or if he gets traded. I would like to see that versus him struggling for 40 games in the NHL and not really fitting in. Yeah, no, I, um, you know, I, I think the Jamie Drysdale point you made makes a lot of sense for me because, you know, not to harp on it, but like, again, like the thing with Jamie Drysdale that made him able to stick around is his skating. And for McTavish, it's going to be his size and his shot. And so what we saw is even if, you know, some of the underlying numbers were brutal for Jamie Treesdale last year. And, and and we saw some of the, you know, there were plays where he was just out of it. He's young, he's undersized, he's inexperienced, all that kind of stuff. There's there's a hundred different reasons why an 18-year-old defenseman playing in the NHL is going to have bad games. Um, but I think more than anything with McTavish is, again, like he, like I said, with Treesdale, he was able to use his skating and leverage that to, minimize his risk as a player and you know mctavish will be asked to do the same thing to whatever ability he can and like you said if if he makes a habit in these first handful of games that he's going to get of going to the net and just being dangerous and being physical i mean look we saw how much uh aikens loved that with 
Max Jones in the preseason, just talking about his ability to get engaged physically, his ability to get on the other team's nerves. Like he just provides a very different level. And I, I don't know that it's fair to expect McTavish to do that, you know, but he will have the ability at the very least to be a physical presence at the front of the net. And if he can do that, then he can, he can earn himself an extended look and, you know, Either way, I think it's a good thing, right? I think the fact that he's in the race at this point is a huge indication of, one, what the organization sees in him, but two, his potential and his quality. So I think, um, you know, having him just around at this point, I, I for me, it's a win regardless. No matter what comes of it, the fact that he's in the race at this point should count as a win. And when he goes back to Peterborough like I expect him to, then it becomes, a, all right, kid, let's see what you got. Let's see how how you can really take advantage of the last little bit of time you've had playing against grown men and, you know, go pick on some 16- and 17-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, and, so, and, and he will go back and dominate that league, which is it's nice to know that because he was so good there uh, two seasons ago, right? Because he didn't even play there last year. Like, we're, we're going based off what he did two years ago in his draft year in Peterborough mm-hmm. where he was almost a point per game and one of the best goal scorers in the league, played against men, played – likely a handful of nhl games this year to go back to that league two years later he's going to be a completely different player he already is so it'll be it'll be nice to see him obviously get a shot with the ducks but then it'll be fun to watch him and pistuyov in the ohl do their thing and potentially be one one two in the goal scoring charts in that league because pistuyov's already got off to a hot start but mctavish definitely has the uh the skill set to uh to end up catching him um let's move on to our next question here from nick he said, what change has the team made from last season that fans can look forward to most this year? That's a tough one. That's a tough one to answer for me. Um, I think there haven't been any headlining changes that the Ducks have made that kind of stand out. I'd be curious to see if you had anything off the top of your head or if you're in the same boat as me. Uh, I, I think for me, the first the first thing that came to mind is they completely revamped the power play again, you know, and I, I, as a duck fan, there's so many reasons to be skeptical of that because we've seen them talk about trying to change it and trying to talk about changing their style of play in general. But I, I think having players like Dreesdale and Zegris and Terry and Comtois, like, and these guys be ready to take on bigger roles, um, you know, like, even a little bit I saw of preseason, like Zegris was just asserting himself on the ice, like calling for the puck, making, you know, risky passes or, um, you know, high, high level plays. Um, I would say that that for me is that's the thing that I would be excited about. I think you can, you can hopefully see this year, the power play just look functionable. I, I don't know that it would be fair to expect the goals to come just because the overall level of talent is still in the way up. Um, but, you know, I mean, Comtois and Zagres and uh, Dreesdale, Terry and Raquel and Getzloff and Henrik, like there's, there's enough there that this should be able to look like a functioning dangerous power play. I would, I would be very surprised if on a chances level this didn't feel like a new power play um but that's that's really the big one for me is it'll be about that it'll be about special teams and 
what having that infusion of youth as well as a whole new philosophy can do for special teams on this team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too. I, I think the only real noticeable changes the Ducks have made have been to their coaching staff outside of Aikens, right? The support staff that they've put mm-hmm. around him. And then that specifically, like you had mentioned, is going to impact the special teams. And the one we're most interested in seeing if it has an impact on is the power play because it was one of the worst in the league last year for the majority of the season. So we want to see some progress there. And obviously, Trevor Zegers off to a good start, had a power play assist last night. That's going to be a big difference maker. Um, you know, Jamie Drysdale playing, hopefully, power play one. And we saw, I think it was a nice power play unit last night. McTavish was also out there on power play mm-hmm. one. I don't know if that carries on into the regular season, but that would be fun to see just to switch things up and put, you know, some new guys out there and guys that have skill to make plays happen and not seeing Derek Grant make his way on to, <laughs> to a power play unit because things are going bad, right? That, that, that I think is going to be a change that we notice, hopefully, whether it's good or bad and, and one that fans can look, mo- look forward to the most. Other than that, you know, not really a change, but a full season of Trevor Zegers as the first line center playing, you know, 17, 18, 19 minutes a night, playing power play, playing five on five, not hopefully getting his minutes shelter. Like we talked about so often last year, I think that will be a change if it happens that fans will look forward to. Cause if you asked all ducks fans right now, what, what are you looking forward to most this year? I, I feel like 90% of them, if not more would say Trevor Zegers and what he can 100%. do and challenging for the Calder. And that starts with him now taking over the mantle of the first-line center from Ryan Getzlaff and Adam Henrique and being this team's best player offensively. And that all comes with, hopefully, not being sheltered. And I get he's still a kid, I understand it, but if you want this kid, which I'm sure they do, to go out and try and challenge and win the Calder Trophy, you got to take the reins off. you got to let him go you got to you know, not shelter his minutes to some extent and just let him loose. And I think that we're going to see that this year. I understand why they did it last year. Uh, I don't see why they would do it this year. So that, for me, is another thing that uh, that we can be excited about. And, and everybody is excited about Trevor Zegers, and that's only been, been fueled by his uh, breakthrough performance in, in preseason. So it's nice to see the hype for a Ducks player extend outside the Ducks fandom for once, right? Like we saw mm-hmm. a friend of the show, Cam Robinson, bought a, a pink Gulls Zegras jersey. And uh, all the you know the pundits out there are all kind of on the Zegras train for the Calder Trophy. And that's among names, guys like Cole Caulfield who were out there. And or I guess Alexis Lafreniere wouldn't be in the running anymore because he played a full season last year. But... Among some pretty talented players, Trevor Zegras is the the front runner, which we haven't seen for probably a, what since I guess Bobby Ryan. Would, I can't try to remember his rookie season if he was considered a front runner for the Calder or not. Yeah, he would have been. He was. He would have been up there. It's tough yeah, when no, you I, go in the league with Sid, though. So yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean th- there was something that caught my my ear last night when I was listening to, like I said, a little bit of the game I saw is uh, Jim Fox made a point where he was like, look, that's, you know, he was talking about the plays Zegers was making, and he said, when you look at the prospect pools for these two teams, he's at the top. Like, and that that really caught me off guard, I think. I Obviously, everybody knows how we feel about him and his potential. Um, but, I mean, this is a team with, um, oh, my God, I can't think of his name all of a sudden. Quentin Byfield, good yeah. Lord. yeah. Um, you know, who 
who does all of the things that you would expect a number one center to do. And he looks like a number one center as far as his physical stats and, you know, his ability to play the game. So uh, it is very, very nice, like you said, to have people outside of Anaheim being excited about a player coming up because, you know, in the past, other than maybe Gibby, there hasn't really been anybody that as a rookie people were excited about um, since Bobby Ryan. And now it's a little bit more of like, oh, wow, look at this or look at that. And like, oh, man, this kid might be special. And it's like, oh, man, that feels good. Like In this environment too, right? Like I understand there's excitement around Getzlaff and Perry when they came in, but you look at the team they came into, they were small pieces of a Stanley Cup contending team. It wasn't there. This is their team at this age. So right. we, like Bobby Ryan, I think, is the closest comp because when Bobby Ryan came in, the team was I don't know, in disarray. But moving on from that stage, right? And I guess off and Perry were the, the stars of the show, but it was okay. Look at this kid; like he's the third addition to this. Like this is, you know, it's going to be these three guys leading the way, and and he's going to be that young kid that takes him to the next level. And that's what Zegras is now. Like we're, we just finished talking about how this is basically his team offensively to take over now he's the number one center on this team at what 20 years old now so we haven't really been able to see that and it's exciting we like we already know this season's going to be tough on a, on a standings point of view and and some performances here or there but it, it all centers around Zegras and obviously Drysdale as well and that uh, that gets into our next question here of course from Pat who couldn't make the show but he blessed us with a question he said, do you guys think a Drysdale-Lindholm pairing will be dominant? Uh, we didn't see it yesterday, but we've seen it a fair amount, actually more than any other pairing throughout preseason for the Ducks. Uh, they have forty, just over 42 minutes time on ice together. The next highest was Benoit and Shattenkirk, uh, and then Mahura and Manson right after that. And the return, early return, again, small sample size, preface it with that, is fairly good. Uh, just under 61% Corsi 4 percentage. They uh, an expected goals for of 2.18 with an expected goals against of just over one uh, on the ice for more scoring chances for than against. Same with high danger chances for than against as well. And they're not getting hemmed in the defensive zone. Like they're and they're not starting the defensive zone. Their offensive zone faceoff percentage was 54.55. So they are being used in in an offensive manner as well. So I think they have the potential to do so. And this could be the beginning of a a reason to keep Hampus Lindholm around. I understand there's a lot more reasons than just this to keep him around. And we talked about this, I think, on our season preview show of of Mm -hmm. all the pending unrestricted free agents for the Ducks. He's the guy that I would be okay with them extending to to, to a point, depending on what the term and, and amount is. But this could make things interesting if they form a dominant pairing and continue playing the way they did in preseason throughout the regular season and really establish a partnership together, it'll make it really difficult for the Ducks to want to move on from Hampus Lindholm. I think it already is, but to think that your up-and-coming young stud defenseman is gelling with your best defenseman over the last you know five, six, seven years, that mm-hmm. that gives you a reason to keep them around. And I'm excited about it. I think it will be dominant. I agree with Pat in, in the sense that why not put your two best defensemen together? And let Lindholm give Jamie Drysdale the freedom to do what he does best, and that's utilize his skating, get the puck out of the zone, and get it up to the forwards. And I think this could be the beginning of something good, and I, I hope 
that yesterday was just let's see what pattern can do and let's see what Dryzo can do with Shattenkirk and split it up a bit. And then when we get to Wednesday, we see these two back together. Yeah, I I think um, I I think that pair has a a potential to be a analytic stud, right? Where uh, again, I just don't think for a hundred different reasons, but just in general, the overall talent level of the team isn't there yet. I, I don't think their like standard numbers are going to look very good, but there is a very good opportunity for them to to win, you know, the the Corsi battle, to win the expected goals battle, things like that. Because we know what Lindholm can do; he can play both sides of the ice. He's underrated a little bit um, offensively. He's incredibly smart. He's in, a better skater than you know than you think. He's not a Fowler or a Dreesdale, but like he's a very good skater. He uses his size well he keeps his head up he makes good passes and then Dreesdale's just you know he's just gonna run around like a maniac and just be quicker and faster than most of the guys he's playing against and more creative and he's gonna be he's gonna have a lot to prove and Anaheim hasn't had a a full throttle offensive defenseman like that in a really long time um the opportunity for those two to develop into a legitimate top pairing I think is there um i think dominant is a word that makes me a little nervous just because i think we're going to see bumps in treesdale's game yeah um he's going to make mistakes it's going to be about growing from those mistakes type of mistakes that he's making things like that um you know but but there is every reason to think you know, thinking about it right now, honestly, I wonder if, you know, they're putting him with Dreesdale as a hope that that'll convince Lindholm to stay. You know, they clearly want him around. I don't think anybody thinks they don't want Lindholm around. Um, you know, I remember, well, four or five years ago, I think, there was conversation about the Ducks trading for Landeskog, and the rumored ask was Lindholm, and everybody was like, no, like, that's just not going to happen. Like, we're, you know. And so, you know, I think he has a very well-respected place within the organization. I think we all know that he is a legitimate number two at the least. And him and Dreesdale could could provide enough two-way ability as a pairing that it could help keep Lindholm around. And I personally, like I said in the last show, like I would love it. That would make me beyond happy. Um, he's been one of my favorite players on the team the last few years. So, so I, I am optimistic uh, that that pairing can be very successful for Anaheim. My favorite thing looking at the numbers for these pairings is you could look at their expected goals against uh, as a pairing, and it's actually second worst on the Ducks at 1.02. The only worst pairing was Benoit Shattenkirk at 1.57 expected goals against while they're on the ice. But their expected goals for together is just astronomically more than the next highest pairing that it it doesn't even make a difference. Like their expected goals for while on the ice together is 2.18. The next highest pairing is Mahura Fowler at 0.85. So like it's it's not even close. And, And like it's... It's like, yeah, okay, you know, defensively, not they're they're not bad by any means because they're controlling the possession, uh, the shot attempts for the Corsi fours is well in their favor, almost sixty one percent. They're getting more scoring chances for than against, more high danger chances for than against. So there is a little bit of sacrifice uh, to the defensive side of things, 
but they're just generating so much offense as a pairing that you're like, okay, well, like it, it's not a big deal. Like they're going to be bumps and they're going to be games where it probably doesn't go their way offensively, and maybe they'll have to buckle down uh, defensively and, and and cover the difference of what you know they've been sacrificing a bit here over the, over preseason. But the numbers are encouraging. Like it's nice to see that we haven't had a a pairing that can contribute this much offensively. And again, I know it's a small sample size. But it would be just a nice change to see that, to have a pairing like Lindholm and Drysdale who can both just contribute offensively and imagine them playing out there with that Comitois, Zegers, Raquel line and being able to get the pucks up quickly to those guys and and to to make things happen. Like You're starting to see that transition here where there's some fluidity in this lineup and some creativity all throughout, not just up front, but now on the back end. And... It's exciting to see, and I, and, and I think it will be an interesting pairing. I hope it stays together, but we know how quick the Ducks are to bail on defense pairings when something goes wrong. And maybe we see them together for three or four games, and if we get one bad game, which we're going to see at some point, mm-hmm. I hope that doesn't mean they bail and, and they jump ship from that. Yeah, I mean, look, let's be, let's be very clear and very, very honest. Any defensive limitations that that pairing has is explicitly on Jamie Dreesdale. Yep. Um, I, 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 I have felt this way for a few years now, and I don't think anything is going to make me change my mind. As far as I'm concerned, Hampus Lindholm is one of the best defensive defensemen in the league. I, I just think he is phenomenal. He does so many little things so incredibly well, and he is just so consistent that it, it's going to be about Dreesdale's learning curve. And that's fine with me. This, again, isn't a year where they're expecting to make a run up the standings. It is in their best interest as a franchise to let those two play as many minutes together as possible because it will provide a set of training wheels for Dreesdale, having someone as responsible and smart and effective as Lindholm with him. But two, it gives Lindholm something to see and say, oh yeah, this is a real thing because that's, you know, as as much as we downplayed uh, the three of us downplayed the interview he did with Eric Stevens as far as what he was saying because it did feel like a whole lot of nothing burger. There is he did say I want to see this team take steps forward and yeah, there are guys that we can see take those steps forward. You know, Zagris and Comtois. You know, Zagris getting more out of Raquel and things like that. Like there are reasons to be excited here. And it is 100%, like I said, in the franchise's best interest to give Lindholm every reason to stay. He's not old yet. He's still entering the part of his, you know, his career where he is expecting himself to be an elite player, an elite difference maker. And, you know, if that coincides with having a 19, 20, 21-year-old Jamie Dreesdale just running around like a bat out of hell, like that's very exciting for me. And, and I don't think you need the Lindholm-Manson pairing anymore, right? Like, I understand why we had it in place and why it was initiated in the first place. They were going to go out there and shut everybody down. And they were phenomenal at it together when the Ducks were a competitive team. But now it's about getting the best out of Jamie Drysdale and even the best out of Hampus Lindholm and finding what works now with the way this team is trending and the style of play that they're hoping to play. And I think switching that up and 
allowing Hampus Lindholm to almost coach Jamie Drysdale and give him that that kind mm-hmm. of sense of, of of a safety net behind him that he can go out and play the way he wants is is not only a nice shift for Hampus Lindholm where he can do what he does best. I think it's a nice shift for Jamie Drysdale coming into his sophomore season and not having to play 25 minutes a night with Josh Manson or Kevin Shattenkirk. Like that will be very good for him, I think, to be able to play with a player like Campus Lindholm, still being the Ducks' top defensive pairing and probably playing the most minutes of anybody, but a little bit more of a, a different responsibility and expectations than what he was having last year and what Hampus Lindholm is used to playing with Josh Manson. And I think that will be good for both of them, and, and I hope it stays together, but you know, we, we know how the Ducks like to work, so we, I can't you know cross my fingers at this point, but we'll have to see. There's, there's a lot of interesting storylines going into opening day, and I think this is right up there with you know McTavish and Zegris and, and everything like that. Um, all right, so D4 Dorian asked a question. We knew Eichel would come up at some point, um, and if you had saw a tweet this morning, uh, Pierre Lebrun put out an article on Eichel two days ago. And reference how a lot of teams are actually out. Minnesota, L.A., New York, and a few others have kind of jumped out just because they think they can be competitive and to make the salary work. They don't want to move guys out of the roster that can help them be competitive, especially if Eichel is done for the year. So that takes a lot of suitors out. And we saw the Rangers re-sign Zabinijad long-term this morning to an eight-year deal. But the Ducks and the Flames are still the two most interested teams in making it happen. And he mentions in there that the Ducks, as we've expected and seen for most of the year, are the team that make the most sense, a team that's not going to be competitive, expected to be near the bottom in the standings, and losing players like Comtois or Terry or you know Steele or whoever, roster players, is not going to affect them this year to wait for Eichel. So the question that DeFordorian asked after a long-winded preface by me is is a deal <laughs> consisting of Comtois, McTavish, a conditional 2023 first, a 2022 second and third enough for Jack Eichel. What do you think, Stephen? Do you think that that is enough or do you think uh, or who kind of says no in that scenario for you? <clears throat> I I think I think that's pretty close to what both sides would be looking for. Um, I think putting in a player like McTavish means Comtois is the second best player in that um, as far as potential. And I think that's what Anaheim needs. Um, there's a there's a guy who writes about the Sabres. I think his name is Chad Domenichis. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he did a bunch of articles over the summer looking at different teams. And one of the things that he, he kept saying is, he loves Comtois. He's very excited uh, about the possibility of bringing Comtois into a young Buffalo Sabres lineup and the kind of offense that he can provide, the straight line skating, all the dumb shit that I talk about with him as far as why I love him and how simple his game is. Um, but he's not a guy that you can build that trade around. And as much as Terry and Perot are interesting or exciting, neither of those guys have the ceiling um, that a player like McTavish does. So I think if you take Comtois and you take McTavish and you put them together, I think that's right there. You've got two equivalent first-round picks, which is huge. And you give them someone like McTavish who can play behind Dylan Cousins in a similar way to he is currently being expected to play behind Zegris, and he can be that you know change of pace, physical, heavy you know center. 
I think the 2023 first makes the most sense. I think that is in Anaheim's best interest because if they bring in Jack Eichel and he misses four months, that's that's not enough time for them to recover yeah. and make a push. They'll probably still end up in the lottery. You know, now maybe what they do is they make this year's pick conditional and keep next year's pick, right? They go, if it finishes in the top five, then we're keeping it because that's a Shane Wright, Brad Lambert kind of a quality yeah. player. Like a Sharks, but, Sharks Sen situation, right? Where, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I think there are questions that need to be asked about salary and things like that. I know a lot of people think Henrik moves out in this deal. I don't know, man. I feel I, I feel like I'm a broken record, but I just I really don't think Henrik makes any sense for them. They're looking for players that they can trade. They want to get returns. Henrik, we've already seen, is hard to move on that deal. I don't understand unless, you know, Buffalo eats half of his salary just to keep a little bit of hit and try to really up his value. I don't see what he gives them that they can't get for pennies on the dollar somewhere else. Um, You know, they can trade for corpses of contracts. They can go find those guys. There's always going to be those guys. You know, they could go get a a Michael Furlan who likely isn't going to play again. Unfortunately, they, they're, they're going to be guys, Um, you know, so the Kessler contract makes sense. It's almost $7 million. It comes off the books. The payout's really low. Yada, 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 all that crap. I've been talking about for like a year. Um, uh, but as far as the, the substantial assets are concerned, I, I think that's pretty close. And I think if you take that second and third for this year, which are likely to be, you know, what, 35, 34 area, and then, you know, uh, what is that, low 60s or yeah. mid-60s on the other end, like those are those are good picks. Those could be very valuable picks. To a team like and the Sabres too, right, exactly. who are now – looking for the additional pieces where the ducks are on the opposite end of the spectrum right like we have the calendulas and the perros and Mm -hmm. the joneses and the terrys the sabers have cousins and they have power and they have delene and they have their top end guys they now need the come to us and mctavish and other guys to fill that out and getting second and thirds and a conditional first for them i think are almost better than you know, a Terry who DeFordorian kind of mentioned that you could swap in for the second or third. I think they want those second and third picks and are going to add picks like that so they can start building out that prospect pool and having a bunch of guys who could come in to this roster when Deline and Power and Cousins and if this trade was to go through McTavish and Comtois are getting into, you know, their primes. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, Troy Terry is, gonna, is 24 right now. He'll be, yeah, he just turned 24. So, you know, I don't know that a Troy Terry fits their timeline the way that 22-year-old Maxime Comtois does, the way that yeah. uh, Jacob Perot, I think, is like, I don't know, 20 maybe. Um, where is it? There it is. 19. Yeah, April 15th. Yeah, he'll be 20 at the end of this year. Um, you know, those guys make more sense for them. And like you said, they are looking for – I mean, unless Tage Thompson turns out to be an elite center uh, – you know, uh, you know they have a guy like Jack Quinn who should be a goal scorer. That that yeah. gives them a Perot type player. They need guys who can be a little bit more difference makers. And having those second and third round picks to take flyers on guys who fall, 
I mean, look, Jeremy Poirier a couple years ago went, what, in the fourth or fifth round? Something ridiculous like that? Like, there are going to be opportunities every year to get guys at incredible value because there are warts or question marks in their game. Those are the guys that teams that are rebuilding are going to be looking for. That's why Anaheim took Pastudov at three uh, in the third round pick. There's like, yep. there's too much potential here to not take him. The value is too high. Um, you know, I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. And I don't think there's anything, you know, I, I just don't know that any of the other players that we really talked about move the needle for them in any kind of direction. Like, you know, I, I understand them asking for like a Lindholm or a Raquel, um, as far as expiring assets, hell, I mean, or Gibson. People, remember that rumor that came out that the Ducks actually I, offered Gibson for him, right? I so. hate it so much. I want to die. The stupidest thing in the world. Yeah, I'll never get over that. How stupid an idea. This that is, is this is just a trade that that I think makes the most sense when you look at for both sides. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You, you look at the assets in the sense that the Ducks are not going to give up Zegers and Drysdale, and that's that's a, a, even to also some extent a unprotected. 2022 first i think those are the three assets yeah those are they're not going to touch them so then it comes down to okay if you're not going to do that your next best prospect and the only one with a real high ceiling is mctavish okay that makes sense i don't think the ducks would be willing to do that but i think it makes sense for both teams to have him included if that means zegers and drysdale don't since you've now taken a drop off from zegers and drysdale to mctavish you can't have a raquel a terry a jones a steel got to be Comtois it has to be to have to to make it equal there and and have your kind of your best young NHL ready player in there so Comtois and McTavish makes sense the the conditional 2023 first I think is right I don't think I still don't think I would even do a condition on 2022 and and and, but if I you know I I liked your thought process the shark sends kind of thing where it was okay it's a lottery protected 2022 if you, you make the choice a la what they, the Sens did with Kachuk and say, okay, we want this pick, we don't want this pick. And then you get your 2023 or they get your 2023 unprotected. I, I, I feel like it puts you in a tough spot because I don't think the Ducks will be good in 2023 either. And there's some good names in that draft like Bedard and Mitchkoff that I wouldn't want to just hand over to the Sens if we were to, you know, to, sorry, to the Sabres if we were to kind of have that pick. And I think Jack Eichel's health, even though they have access to the medical records, I like the, the 2023 conditional first being on how many games does he play in 2023 in that 2022, 2023 season? Does he play 40? Does he play 50? Do, you know, does he, you know, God forbid, I doubt it, but get playoff games, right? Like those are the conditions I'd be looking on putting on there strictly on health and games played where it makes sense that, okay, yeah, if he played 50, 60 games for us in 2022, 2023, I understand, you know, fine, give him the first. Wherever we are in the standings, that means he's an impact player and right. that he stayed healthy and he was fine. And maybe you add points into that as well just to make sure he's the same player. But I like that. And and I and I prefer the 2022 second and third over Troy Terry because I don't think – I think the Ducks need to keep players like Terry around that are already NHL ready and on the roster and getting better – then more second and third round picks. And if you're bringing in a player like Eichel, you've now got that other top end talent and you still have whoever you'll get in what will be a tougher year without Comtois and no Eichel in 2022 with your first round pick. And whether that's a Wright or a Lambert or a Juracek or whoever at the top of that draft, you get your other piece to almost replace McTavish, right? That you've Mm -hmm. gone out the door. So then it all comes down to eventually replacing Comtois, which I think they can do with their prospects or free agency or or another trade or whatever it may be. Because you have to think as well that Raquel 
Manson are likely going to be traded at some point. So I think this is so. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's what I was going to say. So here's the thing that I was thinking of. If you, you know, along the lines of what Buffalo might be looking for, it makes a lot of sense to me to put Ricard Raquel in this trade. You know, do Ricard Raquel and Sam Steele instead of the second and third round picks. Ricard Raquel will get them a first at the deadline. They are not going to be, they're not going to be wringing their hands about value for him in the way that Bob Murray was because they know they're bringing him in to flip him down the line. And Sam Steele gives him a guy. He's, you know, he's going to be RFA at the end of the year. So they have the opportunity to keep him, but there isn't a huge commitment. He, you know, doesn't make a ton of money. We know what the potential is. They, you know, again, broken record, but like they probably won't have the issues trying to trying him at different positions like wing that Anaheim so clearly does because they drafted him to be a center. Like, so, you know, I mean, I would, I, I wonder, I guess is my question is, would you do that? Would you go, Comtois, McTavish, 2023rd first, and Raquel. Yeah. Or Jack Eichel. I, I think so, because I think in, in the best situation, you arguably get a second and a third for Raquel, right? Like at the deadline. You know, maybe you get a first, but it's a late first. So it's, you know, an earlier, like mm-hmm. a Buffalo, or you keeping your own Anaheim second and third, which are higher picks, makes sense, right? Like you're either trading those to get Eichel or trading Raquel, which means you're keeping your own picks to get Raquel. So it's essentially you're getting in return for him, right? So mm-hmm. I, I would be fine with that. I, I think it makes sense. And like you said, in the, in the Sabres mindset here, okay, well, now we can flip this guy. He'll be a top-line winger for us. We can flip him at the deadline as a rental. We can likely get a late first from a team. And then this deal for them becomes 2023 first, 2022 first from a, a different mm-hmm. team, Comtois and McTavish. And that's more enticing, I think, to I them. mean, that's the four firsts. That's what they were asking for. That's yeah. it right there. So, you know, and I think the other thing that if you're Anaheim, you have to look at is if you keep Raquel and if Jack Eichel comes back before the deadline, I would be very scared of Raquel getting a Skinner contract because he played with Jack Eichel. Yeah. I would rather get him out the door before he can put up 30 goals or, or you know, what, 15 goals in 30 games or something like that. Yeah. Um, because he's 28 years old. His next contract is not going to be as huge of a deal as this one is. He's going to be looking at five or six million, probably depending on what kind of production he can show. You know, I I think that it makes a lot of sense for both parties for Ricard Raquel to be in the other direction. Helps with some of the salary stuff. It you know it answers a lot of questions on both sides. So, you know, I I would be I would call up right now and just say McTavish, Raquel, Comtois, and just put that out there and see see what it gets you. Yeah, and then because, I think you know, eventually again, you price... got to add that first in 2023. I think you just have to. Maybe, but... Yeah, I think I think that probably ends up being in there. But I also think if there is an understanding that the price, as Pierre LeBrun said, is going to be coming down a little bit, I don't know that essentially three first-round picks, man, that's not a bad get. Yeah. You know, and you can add in some of these other, you know, defensemen that they have. You could put in... I don't know, Shattenkirk, you could put in Larson, you could put in Mahura, you can put in, I mean, hell, send him Gooley back. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? There are there are plenty of options uh, to give them pieces that they can, that can be useful to them in some fashion, whether that is flipping for picks or just filling roster holes. Um, you know, I, 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 I think there's a lot there, and I think Anaheim should, 
if they can keep this year's first round pick, which seems very likely given how long this process has gone out. And again, we can criticize Bob Murray for a hundred different things. We know his price drops if he it doesn't happen on his timeline. The Ryan Kessler trade, he tried to make it the deadline and it would have been two firsts and it didn't go through. And so he took the one first off the table and he said, I'm keeping the other first. Like I'm not, you know, that first was for the playoff run that I didn't get. So you don't get that now. Yeah. You know, and if it is, I'm going to be without this guy that I'm drafting to be, you know, the franchise player. Um, or the guy that I'm trading for to be the franchise player, then I think it's more than fair to say he's not going to play half my season. I'm not giving you that extra first round pick. So what I, what I would say in, in, in going, maybe not going against that, but the putting some urgency on the ducks to get this done now is I don't think for long, there will only ever be two teams interested in referring to Anaheim Calgary here. Yes, the Kings and Minnesota and New York and other teams have opted out now because for this season it doesn't make sense if they think they can be competitive. A lot of things can happen over a season where teams don't do as well as they thought they did and pieces don't pan out the way they thought they did that they get to the end of next year or halfway through the season and say, okay, you know what, this trade makes sense now and we're willing to do this for this and mm-hmm. and then more teams are in the mix, and either the price goes back up or goes above what the Ducks were hoping it would fall down to. And I think in Eichel's situation, where it differs from others, he has five years left. The Sabres really aren't in a hurry to trade him. His value can't really be any lower than it is now with him not playing and the mystery surrounding a surgery and what he could be like after, right? You know, you mm-hmm. know the the worst case scenario for them is he comes back and just literally can't play, and that's it, and his career is over. And and you know that is a worst case unlikely scenario, where the Sabers can say, okay, no, we'll just hold him. He's going to come back. Whatever surgery he ends up getting, he's going to be healthy. He's going to be be back to being a top ten player in this league, and we're going to get what we asked for. If you're the Ducks right now, it's you and Calgary, and I think they have a lot more leverage than Calgary does to get this deal done in terms of prospects, in terms of cap space, where they don't have to send back a Henrique to make the deal work. They can literally absorb all of Eichel's $10 million right now, and and even if it is only come to a salary coming off, like you can you can make that work, and you have other players like Raquel, if he gets included in the deal or not, whose salary could come off when you eventually move them. Same with Manson. So I, th- I think the Ducks have all... Everything's aligned. The Ducks can make this work, and they're the most likely team to make this work. And I think if that's a position you have to take advantage of if you really want to get this deal done. Right now, you are the most likely team to get it done and to, to make it work with all the assets that if you really want him, do it. And obviously, we don't know what the deals are behind the scenes and if right. if the Sabres would even accept it, come to our McTavish twenty twenty three. 2023 first and Raquel or whatever for it. But if you can do that and you want him and you think it's worth it, don't wait for the price to come down because I don't think it's going to go down much further than that, especially when more teams start to come back in and get involved, especially teams like the Kings. Because I don't mm-hmm. think I think they're out for now. I don't think they would ever be out forever. I think if, if Eichel is available at the end of next year, at the end of this upcoming season, and they will go revisit, and I think they would then be in a better position than the Ducks to make it happen. So that's that's where I'm a bit worried about that. I would say they they're in no better position than they ever have been to make this deal work and get him uh, get get the trade done. Uh, okay, real quick. So sorry, we just got a notification for uh, Chris Johnston of I don't know seventy different places now. Uh, Anaheim has waived Sam Carrick and Jacob Larson. 
Uh, very good news for uh, Josh Mahura. Uh, nice crummy news savage. for the rest of us who love Sam Carrick, but probably good news for Gruel. And Gruel. Mason McTavish. At least four, mm-hmm. 14 forwards on the Ducks roster. Uh, Gruel could still be... Yeah, on the border. He's waiver exempt. Yeah. I think they're going to go with thirteen forwards, and we mentioned this on the last show. But I think Delorier could be an in-and-out player where they use him for games where they think they that his skill set comes into play, and where they would need mm-hmm. a guy like that. Um, I don't think they would run into the season with fourteen forwards. So I think there's one more, <laughs> there's one yeah, more I spot here right. where Gru just seems like the likely option because he's waiver exempt. But don't. Don't pass up on Sam Steele. Potentially, something happened in there. Yeah, right? no, I I think that's that's very likely. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is I I think you made a really good point. I think um, I think the way that this has played out has actually done a lot to strengthen Anaheim's position, because as it has been gone, you know, and it has become clear that he is not going to be able to make a real difference this season for any team. It puts Anaheim in a very unique opportunity to where they have every reason to say 2022 Zegris and Drysdale are off the table just completely off the table but we have plenty of other things to get you and if you're Kevin Adams and if you're Pat Brisson who is apparently very involved in this now I don't know that you want to wait much longer I, I think at this moment in time to me other than Seattle, Anaheim makes the most sense. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. But, you know, like you said, Dustin Brown uh, with the Kings, Dustin Brown and his almost $6 million comes off the cap uh, this summer. Uh, I think Jonathan Quick has one year left, but, you know, they could trade him, send him wherever, because Cal Peterson's going to start making five a year next year. They could buy him out even. Like, yeah. it, it, it is definitely a situation. You know, Oli Mata's three million. He's a UFA. That's someone they could put in a trade. Like, I, I I agree with you. I think Bob Murray needs to be. He needs to recognize aggressive. the situation. He needs here. to be aggressive, and he needs to, exactly. He needs to recognize the position that he is in, and he needs to try to leverage it into. Honestly, changing Anaheim's timeline with Jack Eichel, that's next year they're a competitor, in my opinion. Because you have this year to say, all right, all the kids, just go play. This year means nothing. Go for it. We're going to see what happens at the draft. If you guys make the playoffs, great. If not, who cares? The pick's protected, yada, 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 whatever. Um, Next year, it's for real. Because Jack Eichel's going to be fully healthy. Trevor Zegers is going to be a year older. Max, you know, uh, anybody who's around is going to be a year older. We're likely looking at Perot or Pastuyov or, um, you know, maybe even Tracy, some of these guys making a push for the roster. There's reason to think. Free agency, the the Mm -hmm. pull of playing with Jack Eichel and Trevor Zegers and being a part of that as well. You know, John Gibson's still here. Like, yeah, it, it, it timing is perfect right now. I think like if 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 LeBron is correct and the only team you're competing with right now, really you know seriously in for Jack Eichel is Calgary. It's a no brainer. Like Calgary has less than a million in cap space. They don't prospect pool is nowhere near what the Ducks have available to them. And if you're Calgary, you're ha- like you have to somehow get the Sabers and the players I'm going to list here, Bonahan or Goodrow. Both to agree, this is who we want in this deal. Because mm. Goodrow has a modified no-trade clause. Monahan has a modified no-trade clause. They both are already in play. And they only make six, just over six 
each. So that doesn't even cover the whole thing. So you're thinking, okay, now there has to be more salary. So, you know, we talked about the Ducks having the flexibility to not have to throw in a contract like a Silverberg or Henrik in this deal to make it work. And even if it is a, a Raquel or a Manson who help offset that cost a little bit, that those are guys that the Sabres can immediately flip before the deadline. So it, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just a situation that makes the most sense. We'll, we'll obviously cover that as it comes on. we got to move to some of the other questions here. But we do um, have a question that kind of goes along with that. Unless you, you had a, a final point for that? I just want to say we got a reply just because we tweeted about the Carrick and Larson thing. And JGB hit us up and just said, do you think the reason not many guys are being claimed is because of the pandemic or is this normal? And I do think it is it is it is normal there is kind of an unspoken agreement that at this point most guys aren't getting claimed because all of the teams are trying to settle themselves down and there seems to be a little bit of an an unspoken agreement that that doesn't happen but as we have seen guys can get claimed and i would i really do expect uh to get claimed i think he's on a new team tomorrow i think so and there's been a few guys who have been claimed but just Mm -hmm. again like these guys are being waived for a reason, right? Like they are not impressed for their teams and they're keep being sent down. It, mm-hmm. it just, you know, they're not all going to get claimed. And there's a lot of guys be like, oh yeah, we really like that guy. You should get claimed. But at the, at, realistically, every team has a guy like that who they don't really need another guy like that. There's not many guys who get waived that you say, oh man, it's a no brainer. And he gets paid. But right. Barbulet could be that guy and, and he might be. And, and I think he has the pedigree to do so. But yeah, Larson and Carrick are safe bets. They're not going to. I thought Milano maybe, but again, already failed with one team, looks to potentially have failed with another, even though I thought he had a good preseason. That's not a guy teams clamor to pick up. Same goes for Volkov. Didn't do too great with um, with Tampa Bay. Looked okay with the Ducks, but nothing spectacular, especially in preseason. So teams will look at that, and they already have four or five guys like that on their own roster. They don't need another guy like that and wasting a waiver spot to to go and pick him up and 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 then also having to potentially cut one of their guys to make that work so i i don't see it being possible but on on the topic of trades we had a question from quack addict we've kind of mentioned some of these but he asked the likelihood of moving raquel lindholm manson gibson and gets for picks i think we've talked raquel and manson um in the sense that they're unrestricted free agents we could see them being a part of other deals or being held on to by the ducks to be traded at the mm-hmm. deadline it should happen it's it more than likely will happen i don't see them wanting to re-sign both of them if not you know one of them i i, I just can't see that i think those are likely the other ones we talked about Lindholm a little bit but i think a lot of that could depend on how he plays with drysdale and i think he of all of them is the guy they want to bring back and would be comfortable bringing back long term the real tricky ones are, are gibson and Getzlaff. and i think eric stevens recently put out that he he is almost certain he thinks gibson will be a part of the ducks in 2022-2023 i'm on that boat i can't see him being traded Getzlaff could be tricky because we could be getting into a similar situation to last year where he almost got traded at the deadline to Vegas. It would have to be probably Vegas again that he would be willing to go to somewhere close by a team that's competitive that he can try and win a Stanley cup. Doesn't have to move away from home. I I could potentially see that as fit. Maybe Edmonton again, then he's closer to his family back in Canada. That could be possible. Calgary likely won't be in a playoff spot. So you're missing the big one, buddy. I, I probably am here, but I want to save it for you. Cause I know you have some thoughts on this. That That's kind of my thoughts on it. I think Raquel and Manson for sure. Lindholm, I don't think so. Gibson, I don't think so. And then Getzlaff's kind of on the fence there. 
on whether he gets moved. And I think, it, again, it comes down to a conversation between him and Bob Murray and what team is involved and what they're getting in return and, and whether it's worth it for him to make that move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you on Manson and Raquel. I fully expect them to be in the playoffs this season on a new team. Um, I think, yeah, Lindholm's hard. I, I know I really do think it'll come down to, like you said, how that playing with the pairing with Dreesdale goes and, if it looks like it's the real deal, then they're going to try to keep him because it just makes too much sense. And they have the opportunity to clear some money off the books, moving some of those other guys. They do have lots of cap space moving forward. Uh, Gibson, I just don't think he's getting traded. I think the only trade that it sounds like anybody was really all that interested in was uh, Eichel. And if they think they're getting Eichel, they're not giving up Gibson unless it's to get Eichel. I know that's a little convoluted, but... Um, you know, I don't think they're moving one of the best players on the team unless it's very clearly down to the studs, yeah. you know, and and that's, you know, you're looking at maybe Pittsburgh, maybe Edmonton, uh, maybe Colorado, as far as teams that have a hole to fill there. Uh, the, the one for Getzloff to me is, is what happens with Tampa Bay now? Perry's there now. They, you know, they might want to go to three Pete. That roster is going to be really strong. They just lost uh, Yanni Gord, um, so there's going to be, you know, room on that team for veteran impact depth players. You know, I, if you told me that they had a third line with Perry and Getzloff and hell Steven Stamkos, just because they have more forwards than God. Yeah, man, I could told hell they still have Patrick Maroon. They could put that line back together, roll that out there as their third line, and call it a day. I, I think, I think Tampa Bay, like you said, Edmonton and Calgary. He's from that area. Vegas, it's not that far. They know, they know they need a center of an impact player. To me, Tampa Bay is the one that I'm very intrigued by between Perry being there, and the situation that that team is in, where they are still going to be competitive this year. They have every reason to expect to be the best team in the league this year because until someone makes it not them, they should, they're just it. Um, I, I would be very curious to see if, if a player or if Tampa Bay is a player for Ryan Getzloff, who I do think will get moved at the deadline. <laughs> I would hate to have to cheer for Tampa Bay, but that would, I, I mean, like I already had half cheer for them with Perry on their team. Um, but now with, with oh come on man left. we would I would love I would I would die so happy for a Sunbelt three peat you know what would be because... great though a, a, a reun a reuniting of the maroon Getzlav Perry line in Tampa Bay yeah man that's oh, awesome that that's would be beautiful. so good because like you know like uh, first of all like Sunbelt teams we have to stick together because you people hate us uh damn canadians but also <laughs> like i i would really like it for tampa bay because i do think some of the uh the last two don't count is stupid i just everybody played under the same conditions so to me they're just as valid as any normal one i don't care um so i i would love to see him 3p i think it would be really great i think it would take the florida tampa bay rivalry to another level which is quickly becoming one of the best in the nhl um you know, I, I, w- I would be very happy. If Getsy went to Tampa Bay there, I might have to get a jersey, like honestly. Yeah. Because that would be that would be very, very good. Yeah. Uh, it's so it's a, think... it's a soft spot for me and we could talk about this for 
for hours, but there's something <laughs> uh, to weigh up there of, of the the imaging of him playing in another jersey. Um, yeah, and oh, what that sure. does. But uh, I mean, ultimately, again, it's his choice. I will, I will actively weep. Yeah, I'm not even going to pretend. And, and it won't even be something where I hold it against him because I I com- would com- I completely understood last year if, if you want to go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. I don't like Vegas, and I would hate to see him in that jersey. But I wouldn't be upset with him because I understand why he made the move, and he's done everything for the team. He's always been willing to do whatever's best for the team. He's always said that he's never changed from that. So I completely. I completely support it if he if that's what he wants to do. But there there is just something about seeing him in a different jersey that would be be tough to swallow. Um, all right, we got. A fair... You know who makes this real quick? Yeah. You know who makes the exact same cap hit as him? I don't know. Leo Komarov. Love it, love it. I'm oh sorry. my god! If Getsy went to the Islanders, we have to buy Pat a jersey. Yes. That has to happen, 100%. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, keep... No, 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 no worries. We got a few more questions we want to get to here. I know we're running a little long, but who cares? It's a mailbag episode, so that's what it is. Uh, Sawcheck <laughs> says, what did the Ducks do with Sam Steele? This is perfectly on topic with Sam Carey getting sent down today because the Ducks have 14 remaining forwards. Come to Zegras, Raquel Jones gets left, Terry McTavish, Linderstrom, Silverberg, Henrik Steele, Grew, Delorier, Grant. So... If they and we just talked about how we don't think they'll go into the season with fourteen, they might because they could go fourteen, um, fourteen forwards, seven defensemen, and two goalies, and still be at the twenty-three man roster. And mm-hmm. all that means is what is likely going to happen is Sam Steele's a healthy scratch to start the year, and I could honestly see it. He got the audition of a lifetime last night to save himself and be the first line center and play. And he was listed as a first-line center, even though Trevor Zegers is still clearly the first-line center on this team. He was listed as a first-line center last night. I don't think he looked that great. I think it was a tough go for him, and that was, I think, the last straw for him to kind of beat a Gru out of the lineup or beat McTavish Mm -hmm. out of the lineup. More so Gru because he's waiver-exempt. I don't think he did it. And I think that could mean going into the start of the season he's a healthy scratch. And I think it's a healthy scratch for two things. Two experiments. Mason McTavish and Benoit Levier group. Mason will get his seven, eight, nine games. We'll see how he does. Benoit Levier group will get a handful of games. We'll see how he does. If one of them struggles, it's fairly easy to be like, okay, you're back to San Diego. Okay, back to the OHL. Steel, you're in. That's it. He's done being a healthy scratch. But for the first three, four games, I could see him being a scratch, and whether it's you know rotating in and out with one of McTavish or Grew or both of them rotate out and Steele and Deloria come in for a tougher game or whatever, that's how I could see them going about this these first four or five games and getting a feel for things. And that's a tough spot for Sam Steele to be in, but it's one I think I, I can't argue with at this point because everybody else in front of him deserves to be in a spot where they are. Yeah, no, I... <sighs> He just seems like a guy who's really going to need a change of scenery. And it really sucks because he seems like a really good kid. And you don't, with very few exceptions, you really never want to see guys kind of fail. Um, And a guy like Steele who had, you know, I don't know if you know about this, Eddie, but he was very good uh, in juniors. Um, I know you don't follow that stuff very closely, but he played for this team called the London Knights, and he was pretty good for them. And so, you know, to see a guy like that kind of struggle, uh, it's it's disconcerting. But, I, I, you know, I, I think a change of scenery would be good. I think Sam Steele should be on another team unless 
something crazy happens, you know, unless you know a couple of the guys on the roster right now get moved and something crazy. Like, I just don't know that it's best for him. And even then, I still think it's probably best for him to go somewhere else, get a fresh shot, have fresh eyes looking at him, uh, analyzing what they want him to do, how they want him to improve. I think that there's a lot of that that will be very important. So I, I don't think Sam Steele is long for this team. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was waived, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was claimed. Yeah, see, that that's the thing for me, and I think that the telling thing of why he's still here is because they don't want to waive him because I think they they know or assume he will get claimed. I think when we talked about all these guys getting waived and why teams haven't claimed guys and is it because of the pandemic, I think Sam Steele is a claimable player for a lot of teams. Um, they know what he has done in junior, like you'd mentioned, the 130 points he put up with Regina where he was a CHL player of the year. Like, they... People will take a gamble on that, right? Former first-round pick, a guy who just changes scenery type guy. Somebody will claim him, which is why I think the Ducks haven't waived him. If he could go back to San Diego, if he was waiver exempt, he'd be down there already, and he'd be training oh, yeah. with them. It would be end of story. That it wouldn't even be a question about it. That's why I think he's in a tough spot right now. Is that he's going to be a healthy scratch for the first few handful of games while they get a good look at Gru and McTavish and see what they have and and see what they want to do with them. And then from there, I mean, God forbid they both <laughs> claim a roster spot. I don't know what you do with Sam Steele at that point because you either trade him to get something for him so you don't, or you waive him and he gets claimed. Because I think no matter when you waive him, somebody's going to take a shot on him. There will be one team out there, whether it's Buffalo or somebody else or Ottawa or you know Detroit or somebody near the bottom that can find a spot for him in their current lineup and will play him and will want to play him. And, you know, I don't want to see that happen. Uh, I would rather, if that's the route they're going to take, that they try and get something for him. I would like to see him stick around with the team. I would love to see him in San Diego, but it's just not possible because I don't think he's going to go through waivers. If, if uh, I don't think he'd make it through waivers if that was the case. So it is a tough spot with Sam Steele, but it's not like it's unfair. I, I think everybody in front of him has earned their spot, at least with the young players. Like, we can argue all day about Henrik and Silverberg, and one of them should have been moved a long time ago, or both of them should have, and, and that would not that would then allow Sam Steele to be in the lineup. But it's not like he's being held out after playing great. He hasn't been good. So, again, that argument is tough for, for him to fall back on because it's not like he's played better than Henrik. It's not like he's played better than Silverberg, right? So it, it's it's Mm-mm. it's very tough for, for me to defend him at this point, and I love the kid. I think he could be a great player. I just don't know if it's going to be with Anaheim anymore. If Henrik is moved, if they aren't committed to playing Henrik at center at this point and they're still committed to playing Sam Steele at center... I think that in a weird way kind of says all you needed to say because it just kind of shows that like they see he's a center or a bust and it's one of the two. Henrique, they're willing to move around. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Henrique in goal at some point this season. You know, I think they'll do anything to get somebody to fucking take that contract. Um, Sam Steele, you know, I, look, the reality is, is this is there's an opportunity cost here, right? As much as you would like, you know, maybe, right, it gets to time to put to waivers. He makes a phone call and he goes, look, you're going to claim him, so why don't you just give me a fourth or whatever? Sure, I have no problem with that. I understand that. I also don't mind waiving him, running the risk of losing him, and then keeping other guys who might get claimed as well. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, I, you know, it, both of it makes sense. I, I just think, like you said, for me, at the end of the day, he deserves a shot in a new spot where he can really try to – 
get himself back into a position to be an impact, not even an impact player, but just a, you know, an effective NHL player. All right. So connected oh, traded Ole Levy to the Panthers. Sorry. Interesting. I just saw a tweet that he was not on waivers. So yeah. <laughs> and then immediately traded. All right. Um, where was it? Oh yeah. Okay. So this next question is right on kind of trend of what we've been talking about here uh, from prof professor Berg on Reddit said, how do you think the, the forward line configurations look at the start of the season and then at the end of the season? Um, we'll touch on the start. We've kind of discussed it a little bit here. But I think Comtois, Zegers, Raquel is almost set in stone. I think mm-hmm. that is likely going to be the first line. I think Jones, Getzlaff, and Terry, or at least Getzlaff and Terry are together because they've kind of remained together whenever they've played. I think... Henry could slot in there and Jones could find his way down to the fourth line because he's been switching. He's been playing right wing a fair amount instead of left wing. So that could give him some versatility to play there. I think McTavish is going to play with Lundestrom and Silverberg. I like to look at that line. Um, and then I think Sam Steele is left out. Delory is left out and it becomes Grant grew and either Jones or Henry, depending on who plays with Getzloff and Terry. That's how I see the opening night roster go for the forwards. Uh, I mean, there, there's not much left really for speculation, right? Because there's only 14 guys left in a few lines that are already set in stone. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I I would agree with what you have. I would say for me, I would like to see uh, McCavish play with Terry and Getzy. Yeah. Um, and put Lundestrom between the two vets of uh, Henrik and Silverberg. Like, you know, we talked about it, I think, on the preview before the game. That was one of the lineups that was listed. And. Uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I really like the idea of that line being three just smart, two-way, responsible guys. I give Rico a lot of shit, but he's a good hockey player. He's just in a position to where he's being asked to do more than he can, and he's not able to do it. And that's not that's not his fault. That's a, a, a failure of, to some degree, coaching and uh, even to a larger degree, roster construction and planning. Um so I, I think you're 100% right. I think the first line's set in stone. I think the bottom line is probably D'Lo, Gruel, and Grant. D'Lo, Gruel, and uh, who else am I missing? I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, Delorier. Um, and it's about the middle two lines. And as yeah. far as those go, I would I would go McTavish, um, Getsy Terry, because I think that would take a lot of the responsibility away from McTavish. That's two guys who can create plays, two guys who can play defense, um, and he can just go out and be a wrecking ball. Yeah, and, and and Grant Jones grew, or even uh, Delorier grew Jones. Is I don't hate it. Like I honestly don't hate it as much as I thought I would. Um, having Delorier and Grant around to put between or with those two younger kids, I, I don't hate it. I honestly don't. And, and I like more Grant centering grew on the left and um jones on the right even though i think ben olivier grew should be a center just to help kind of and, and they could switch right like his grants played on the wing every now and then so just to help him kind of make that transition i like it i like how this roster is looking because honestly i didn't expect grew to make it very happy he did didn't expect mctavish to make it opening night very happy he did and this is all assuming they do but it looks like they will it's a nice fresh look that we didn't expect right because there was no additions this year we expected it to be a lot of the same, and like the the guys would be looking forward to getting off to a good start potentially. Milano and Volkov. Well, they've now been sacrificed to San Diego, and it's now Gru and McTavish that we get to watch, which is a lot more exciting to see how they're going to do. So, 
I, I think the optimism for opening day is high. I saw a couple of people already tweet saying, hey, man, I actually might get opening night uh, tickets now just because of the way Sickos. the roster is uh, Sickos. shaping up. Yeah, it's, it's a tough look. But we got to finish the, the second part of this question. Sorry, is at the end of the season. Do you see that, maybe not predicting our lines, but do you see it looking similar at the end of the year versus how it would look going into the first game? Um, I, I think it'll be similar enough. I think, uh, I think what we'll probably end up is with a top three of, I would expect either Lunderstrom or Gru to claim the third line center spot by the end of this year. Um, I know me and you talked about this a little bit and I had tweeted about it that I, uh, I really would love to see Gru and Lunderstrom on a line together. Yeah. Um, and as some of the younger talent comes up, I think putting those two with Terry would just be a very, very good third line. I just think that line would be able to play at both ends of the ice. Terry's a good defender. He's a good playmaker. Lunderstrom has shown a little bit of ability. Gru has shown a little bit of ability. Um, I, I would be very excited by that line. Um, I expect probably one of Henrik or Silverberg to be gone and I expect Raquel to be gone and then you know there's the Getzloff question obviously like we touched on before so yeah it's it's tough because we've talked about several trades Uh, I mean the Eichel trade right does that mean Comtois is sacrificed and then he's not here yeah um Raquel unrestricted free agent at the end of the year is he part of this roster I don't think so Getzlaff again is he here at the end of the year who knows depends on what the return for him looks like Silverberg and Henrik like you said I could potentially see a team take a flyer on one of them if, if the Ducks retain some salary so one of them might not be here and Delorier has is a guy that might get moved too right like he might not be a guy who sticks around because there was teams apparently interested in him before so it could look drastically different. You know, we could see Milano back up and Volkov up or Perot up at, at, at the end of the season when, you know, some of these guys have moved on. So, I, I mean, obviously the core pieces will be there. Zegers will be there. Um, you know, I guess Lindstrom now will be there. Jones will be there. Terry should be there. But some of these other guys that have been tossed around in trades, we, we won't know. So it could look pretty different at the end of the year. Um, all right, two more Do questions. Do you think Steele yep, is on this? Do you think Steele is on the team at the end of the year? Because that's the name we didn't touch on, I don't think. I mean, it's I know we so talked about him a second ago, but do you think say. he's on the team at the end of the year? Uh, if I had to pick, I would say no. Yeah, um, I think that's – I'm with you. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he was. I, I think it's very – it hinges a lot on how Gru and McTavish do it in the opening games here. Um, but if they do well and they stick around, he might get waived. Like it's a very real possibility he gets waived or he just spends the year then as a 40 game guy back and forth between healthy scratch and and playing with guys like Grant and Delore until he takes a step forward. So I I think based on that, I I don't see him sticking around because of that. Because if it gets to deadline time, the ducks might just trade him to get something for him because he also is a uh, contracts up at the end of the year. I think he's still an RFA, but you know, you, you still, that's not how you want the season to go for Sam Steele, and they might choose to move on at that point. Um, yeah. All right, two questions we got left. This one's from Oliver's Nasty. Uh, I think on I think it was just on Reddit, but he said, "Any chance chances Eakins might get tossed this year?" Um. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes. I don't know. Uh, there is a chance. I a hundred. Well, yeah. Think there's always a chance. If the wheels fall off the wagon, and some of these kids, let me say this. I 100% could see Aikens getting tossed. If it happens, I think it will accompany 
an announcement that Bob Murray is either moving up or moving on. And what they are doing is they're going to put Stuthers in the head coach interim spot or, you know, let him go. And then it'll be between him and the guy in uh, San Diego, whose name Bouchard. Yeah. Joel Bouchard. Yeah. Um, and then it'll just be about what happens at the top and whoever they announce will have an opportunity to get to pick their guy. But I, I don't think, I think you are right. I think it is likely that Aikens is the coach at the end of the season. And then what happens in the off season is the off season. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just that, yeah. I 100% think that if, you know, there isn't improvement in certain places, you know, like if the power play doesn't look competent at a certain point, that falls on the head coach. Um, you know, if this team is making mistakes, if some of these younger guys don't look like they're making steps forward, which is supposed to be Aiken's big strength, is communicating with younger guys, you know. I mean, look, Steele has played almost all of his career under Aikens at this point. At every level, or at, you know, junior and at NHL, uh, not junior, uh, AHL and NHL. Yep. You know, I it's hard to look at that. It's hard to look at what's happening with Larson and not be like, mm, maybe we should be a little bit nervous. Again, I really like Akins. I think from a culture perspective, I like what he brings. I like the way that he conducts himself around these kids, what he expects of them. He still needs to be an effective NHL coach, though, in one way or another. And if that doesn't seem to be the case, it wouldn't surprise me if 10, 15, 20 games left in the season, they, they throw him out. I, I can see him a better assistant than a, a head coach. Not to say I'd want him as an assistant at the Ducks after him being the head coach. I don't think that's good for, for the room. No, that's not feasible. Um, that wouldn't work. Yeah, I, I, I personally don't see a benefit of no matter how the Ducks do, things could go completely south. I don't think canning him in the middle of the season is the right move i think i'm, I'm almost certain he's done at the end of the year but like, i just can't see like uh, bob murray's done his contract's up i think akins is done stothers or bouchard will be interviewed and will be front runners with other candidates across the league depending on, on who's available at that point i think he's done no matter what at the end of the year the fact that I like they they have to bring in guys and publicly say they have to bring in guys to help him is not a good look. Like I, I, yes, I know every coach has assistant coaches that help him. The fact you have to publicly announce that like he needs guys to, around him to help is is a tough look. And I just I I just can't see it. I I can't see him getting tossed in the middle of the season. But I also can't see him being here. Uh, for Extended, next year yeah. so i think it's a complete new look for the ducks in 2022 23 new gm new coach um again it might be a familiar face it might be stothers or, or bouchard who take over but uh, i can't see uh, either of them being back uh, for next year but none of them neither of them will be tossed during the regular season that would be very surprising um last question we got here to wrap up the show is what do you think the biggest or sorry who do you think will be the biggest disappointment and who will be the biggest surprise steven i'll hand this off to you to start um biggest disappointment i oh boy oh boy um biggest disappointment Biggest disappointment is hard because that shows a level that <clears throat> there's a chance it's Lundy. There's a real good chance that Lundestrom yeah. doesn't take the next step forward and he finishes the season with, you know, 60 games and 15 points 
and middling underlying numbers, and that would be frustrating, one, for me, because I love the kid, but two, for a team that is hoping he's going to take a step forward, and for the player who is, again, betting on himself this year when he signed that qualifying offer. Um, What about you? Where are you at on disappointment? Yeah, I I mean, I think the easy answer would be Sam Steele, but I'm going to stay away from that just because it it, it kind Mm -hmm. of, it's so easy to just pick him for biggest disappointment at this point. I'm I'll, I'll go a little bit of a long shot and say that the biggest disappointment could be Maxim Comtois. In, You're in, braver than me. I had the same thought. <laughs> just in that the expectations are so much higher this year for him mm-hmm. playing a full season with Trevor Zegras um, on pace for almost you know 25 goals, I think, last year, that they'll expect him to hit at least 25, 30 this year. That seems to be the expectations on on Trevor's or on Maxim Comtois. If things uh-huh. don't pan out, if they you know the chemistry just doesn't isn't there, or you know Seager's just God forbid he doesn't have as great a season as everybody is expecting, that will also impact Maxim Comtois. If the power play doesn't improve, that affects his numbers. I I think there's a lot of ifs around how well he's going to do this year. I think he's a great player. Uh, I think if he gets 20 goals and 40 points, that's not a bad year. But if he's at 20-20 at the end of the year, I think people will be disappointed. I think they will be disappointed in that performance. I don't think they necessarily should be, but I think it's because the expectations on him are so high right now. He He has the furthest to fall of anybody because he's being lifted up to to this status right now of, of which he's earned but he he could fall the hardest if he doesn't live up to those expectations so i think he could be the ducks biggest disappointment at the end of the season yeah i think the other one that is one that i almost don't want to say out loud but i i, I, I think if dreesdale has a sophomore slump i think a lot of people are going to be pretty pissed yeah so yeah Z- uh, zegris could be in that discussion as well right like yeah absolutely the expectations for him are he will be competing and in nominated for the calder trophy at the end of the year mm-hmm. what it seems like uh, among fans perception right now is if that doesn't happen that's a disappointment and it's a, yeah it's a real possibility that he that might not happen you never know right like i think he's skilled enough and i think the odds are that he is in that conversation but if we're talking about who could be the biggest disappointment for the Ducks, guys like him and Drysdale and Comtois who have very high expectations, mm-hmm. if they don't meet those high expectations, they will be considered disappointments. And more so than Steele, whose expectations are nothing right now, it's very easy to say, okay, he will be the biggest disappointment because he already is a disappointment. But you got to start targeting those big guys and say, okay, if things don't go the way we're hoping, that will be disappointing for them. Or, or people will at least see that as being disappointing because of how the expectations that we put on them to start the year. Yeah, uh, no, I think you're, you're right when you said uh, it's about having the farthest room to fall, 100%. All right, biggest surprise. Um, I would have, honestly, but before preseason, and I think I said that I was on that uh, on Dauber radio talking about Dutch prospects. I said that Benoit Olivier Gru would be the biggest surprise this year. Didn't think he would make the roster to start the year, but that at some point he would be so good in San Diego they'd have to call him up. And then I just his work ethic and, and the way he plays, he would nail down a spot and play 20, 30 games this year and, and be a solid player for the Ducks. I, I would still put him in that category. I think he will be the biggest surprise. Uh, mm-hmm. But if we're we're going to talk about guys who could be here for the entire year and won't bounce between, uh, I would say Max Jones. I think 
he is primed for a very good year. I don't think the production is going to wow you, but I think he could get you know 15 goals and 30 points at the end of the year. He's going to bounce between a few different lines. Hopefully he'll find a fit. But I, I think this will be the year for him where he just seems comfortable now. He seems like he knows the type of player that he is and that he can be. And I think that could be relieving for a player to just kind of know where you fit in the roster and to have that freedom to go out there and just be that player. I think this is the year for for Max Jones where he takes a step forward to basically replacing Corey Perry and and not being a 40-goal-scoring potential player, but just what else he brought to this lineup. Um, I I think we, we can really see that from the way he's played so far. So I think it'll be a fairly good year for Max Jones. Yeah, um, I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. I, I, I am gonna, I am gonna move to a different thing, and I am gonna say that I think the biggest surprise will be one of Mahura or Benoit. Like um, yeah, one of them. I, one I, of them is gonna make the roster because there's only one more cut to be made from defense. So, yeah, and 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 I would be inclined to say, um, Benoit, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that his game is so simple and so fundamental that it would be, it's very easy for this team to go. Yeah. He's just on the third pair forever now. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I think there's a chance that Mahura could push for second pair minutes. If, if his skating and his, his passing really comes together, you know, having that ability to be kind of a two way player uh, as far as moving the puck and, um, stuff like that, you know, I, I, I think he could really surprise a lot of people, my, myself included, to be honest, because I've been very touch and go with him. But I think he's got a chance this year to really make a name for himself. The good thing is one of them, if maybe both of them, but probably one of them uh, will make the opening night roster and will get a chance to take that spot from that Jacob, Jacob Larson has held down for the last few seasons. So there's a lot of room for these guys to take some steps forward this year. We're gearing up for the home opener on Wednesday. Um, I guess we might as well kind of mention the changes to the format of the show um, and the way things are going to play out for this year. Uh, we will be doing a post-game show after the game on Wednesday um, to just kind of kick off the season. After that, we will be doing weekly shows on the weekend uh, to kind of cover all the action throughout the week and mixing in the occasional post-game show for bigger moments in the season. Um, obviously, like we, we nailed down the home opener here, some big matchups, different things like that, uh, where we'll decide that we're going to go live for a post-game show. So they will still be a part of the show. And we will mix them in, and we'd love to hear from you guys throughout the season on, on how you feel about that structure. But we think it, it will be best for everybody and best for you guys in terms of us being consistent and getting good quality shows out that we, we stick to for sure doing one a week. So four a month, usually potentially five, and mixing in the uh, the occasional post-game shows because uh, we still love those. They're, they're, they're a lot of fun to do. They're just very hard to, to schedule and coordinate everybody around. So that's how the show's going to work. I uh, love that you guys came out. Everybody who submitted questions, if we didn't get yours, I'm sorry. We'll get to it next time. Uh, always send them in. Send us, you know, go to our website, send them through our emails, you know, hit us up on social media if you have any questions. And we'll always uh, kind of stick them around for our next mailbag show. Uh, and DMs then, are open, baby. Yep, exactly. Send us a message there, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Just, uh, just hit us up with any questions you have, and we'll save them. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, on Wednesday with a post-game show. Not sure... Who all is going to be there? I think you and me will be there, right? 
Definitely. And yeah. then we'll see if uh, if Pat and Jay are available for that one. And then after that, our week, first weekly show will be that weekend. Where we'll be recapping the beginning of the season and how the Ducks looked in those first few games. So looking forward to getting another season under Ghost. Even this will be your first full season with uh, mm-hmm. with the team, which will be a lot of fun. And uh, appreciate you guys listening and coming out. Yeah, um, like Eddie said, we're, we we just think it's a good way for us to make sure that everybody is getting the most out of it and that we're giving you guys good stuff. You know, everybody's schedules are just kind of crazy sometimes, and you guys saw it last year where things kind of fell through at the last second. We just want to avoid that because we really appreciate you guys spending so much time with us. Uh, and then we're going to keep trying to just pump out all sorts of weird stuff like we did a little bit last year and over the summer and just, you know, try to just have some fun with it. Um, and if you are not uh we would ask you to join the patreon if you are so inclined uh we have a little discord where we talk a bunch of shit and uh we put out some some fun episodes so you know we we try to find some people to talk to and try to do some weird stuff we have the big pucks and brews we want to do two of those a month for sure and um you know making sure we're, we're getting you guys stuff so you know uh Come, uh, come kick it. We we really love hearing from you guys and having you guys part of this. So thank you. Yep, and that was uh, patreon.com slash forevermighty if you want to want to check that out. But again, we appreciate you guys coming out for this show, and we will see you Wednesday night. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody.